I think that was a slight uh, touch my, my end, actually. So uh, can you hear me okay, Derek? Oh, fine. Yeah, I just completely, the whole screen was dead and nothing was happening. I go, oh my God, they've lost me. I've lost them. <laughs> and the phone rang with four nine on it. And I went and I went and listened to it, thinking it was you phoning me saying, what the hell? But I don't know. It wasn't you because it was the four nines Germany. Oh, anyway, yeah. Well, well I, I, I did ring you as well, actually. So hang on. Right. I, think, I think I'm ringing yeah. you again, actually. I'll let yeah, me switch off. I can't get this to stop. Can't get this to stop now. Okay, yeah, good. Okay, well, not not to worry. Slight technical hitch, but th there you go. We're 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 all good to go. So very warm welcome, Derek. Thank you very much for uh, joining Brooklyn's TV this evening. So mainly this evening we have uh, Brooklyn's members on, uh, but also Goodwood Road Racing uh, Club members, uh, several uh, Bewley members, uh, and also uh, several members of the uh, good old uh, Bognor Regis Motor Club. And uh, the reason, of course, for members from that club being on is that was that was your club, which I believe you must have joined probably the, the, the early 1960s, which was the start of your motor racing journey. Yeah, it was. I, absolutely. I can't remember quite when, but of course, we, they, they used to have their headquarters down at Church Farm, where we built our first, within 50 feet of, or 50 yards of where we built our first car, the Little Lotus 7. And uh, they had one of our, you know, we had a club there with a couple of nice bars and we used to have the Harbour Bar for the Bognor Motor Club because obviously I, I knew them freely, all the guys through my parents because mm -hmm. they all had fun, you know, fun cars. And so there were so many people. And of course, through that, I got to know the Chichester people and Chichester Motor Club. And through that, I ended up sort of being a marshal at Goodwood. So that's sort of uh, how it, how my, almost how my racing career started because of Bognor Motor Club, but not quite. <laughs> Can't really get them all. Good. Sure. So and I was going. To, I was going to mention the marshalling. Actually, I mean, before you started driving, you 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 did some marshalling at Goodwood, as you mentioned. And I I think you told me one time that you were at uh, Goodwood the day you were marshalling the day that uh, Sterling Moss had his big accident in uh, 1962. Yeah. Although you, you weren't at the scene of the accident, I don't I don't think. No, I, I thank God I wasn't. I think I'd have probably ever driven if I had. But no, I was at Magic. At, uh, Magic. Yeah, Wicket's the last corner. Magic's the first. I was sort of halfway around Magic on the inside behind a bale of straw, which was really very good if somebody went off at 120 miles an hour. And Sterling, of course, crashed up in the Fordwater area. Mm -hmm. So I just knew about it. But I had, he was always my hero and I had met him that morning. Uh, he was, and I'd forgotten all about it until we were reminded by a photograph and a, a, a gentleman from the sort of the, the museum, if you like, of, of Marinello concessionaires in London, the, the Ferrari dealers, this gentleman contacted me and he said, uh, do, do you know who's in, uh, who this guy is in the photograph? And I am pushing a wheelchair with Sterling across the, the paddock at Good because it was all gravel then, or a lot of gravel. And there was this young man sort of, you know, obviously um, you know, handicapped as it were in that. And uh, I didn't know who it was. So I, I always, that latter part of, my, of Sterling's life, I knew him really well. So I called him up and we used to see him a lot in Florida anyway. And I said to him, I said, oh, by the way, who's this in this photograph? And he said, oh, that was Mike so-and-so because he's got, had a, memory, a wonderful memory. And he knew him anyway, that's how it came about. And he couldn't push it through the gravel. So he said, hey, can you help me? So that was when I first met him actually, but I did, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, it's a great story. Yes, I, I've been to some talks with uh, Sterling, and uh, certainly, as you said, he, even later in life, he had an incredible memory of his, uh, his yeah. career. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so as we know, you, you you then took the step up from marshalling to start racing in 1964, uh, first race at Goodwood in, in the Lotus Seven. Can you still still recall those those first races? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I must say, I did go to the Jim Russell School before that. While I was studying agriculture, before I came back to run the farm, I actually got sort of a 
uh, a diploma in agriculture to come back and sort of satisfactorily run our farm down at Pagham, where the where Bob Road Club used to be. And, um, you know, sort of the, the, that first meeting with the, I mean, John Penfold from Arundel, he was a close friend, or still is, very close friend, and I and his wife, uh, Heather, and, you know, we just had a, a wonderful time doing various things, skiing together, doing other things together. But above all, we actually built that Lotus 7 together, put it together, and we ultimately finished it at about two in the morning. He did at two in the morning, because on the 12th of, it would, well, the morning of the 13th of March, and I was driving at a Goodwood that day. Uh, so he, I went back to have a bit of sleep. John finished the car off, and then we, he drove the car to Goodwood in the bucketing rain. And then I went by and, you know, his, his dad picked me up and drove me to the track, keep me dry, and so at least till I stepped in the car. And then I drove it, and, and I'd never forget it. I mean, we were on, it was a handicap race. And um, I'd never raced in my life. So there I was stuck on the grid, but put by according to what time I had done in practice or what they thought I was capable of. I don't know how they did it with rain and so being so bad for the handicapping. And I was in the middle of the group. I, remember, I think I was on my own in like the seventh row or whatever it was. And we were two, some in two, some in threes on the row, some in one. And, um, and off I went at the back of the field was, was Hugh Dibley and Sterling Mosses. Sterling Moss SM was called Sterling Moss Automobile Racing Team, smart, smart racing team. A uh, light green car, and it was a Brabham BT8, can you believe? Which, believe it or not, I actually had to judge that very car at the Concorde Elegance at Amelia Island, Jacksonville, last March, a year ago. Sorry, 19, in, in 2020 March, the last event we did before COVID. And that was the actual car that Hugh Dibley had driven, is, was then now in America. I think it's back in England again, actually, right now. And uh, of course, he was meant to storm through the field in this modern, the highest tech sports car out there, beautiful two liter car. And I was in my ratty little Lotus 7 with a 1500 Cortina GT engine in it. And I never saw him. And I didn't see really anybody much. And it bucketed down with rain. And I don't know why I was quite good in the rain, or the car was obviously, it helped me no end. And I kept going around and around. And um, when I and I never actually saw it. I actually didn't overtake anybody. I mean, I saw people on the grass, and I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And I remember, I came round to start the last lap, and we didn't have a thing like a lap board. We think we wouldn't need it, you know. And suddenly, I remember John Penfold jumped, got this board from the guy in the next pit, and he put out P one, you know, one lap to go. I couldn't believe it, and I just went around that last lap sort of laughing the whole way around. I just couldn't believe we were going to win our first race. And we did. So it was pretty spectacular, actually. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And you've got an incredible clarity of, of memory of the, of the, of the, whole, uh, the whole episode, uh, Derek. Yeah. So you, you, you then went on to, after the Lotus on through to Formula 3 and Formula 2. And it's fair to say you had a pretty meteoric rise through that the motor racing ranks and when you look back on it it seems pretty incredible that you've just described your first race there at Goodwood in 1964 in the Lotus 7 but just four years later in 1968 you got the call from Ferrari uh, and, and, and an incredible uh, turn of events. Yeah I, I to this day I still don't understand why there must have been a hell of a shortage of drivers if they found me but um, it was weird because we we had a couple I'll quickly go through the previous years. We ran our own little Formula Three car for the 1965 season, and um, you know, with with our own engine, rather like the engine we had in the Cortina, but it was a Ford engine we got from Rose in Chichester, and we stripped it down as a new engine and put bits and pieces on it to make it a bit more competitive. 
and had a wonderful mechanic called John Upton who came to help and he built the engines, but you know, he'd only build as good as we gave him to build it. And we should have really gone and bought a proper Cosworth Formula 3 engine, but they were 600 pounds. There's no way we could afford that. And the, the car we had was a year old anyway. Anyway, we went out and actually I won my very first race in it at, at, at Mallory Park. And then I was invited to Brands Hatch for the delayed Boxing Day get race, which was then on in the middle of January. And I won my class there. I won the sort of former three class. It was quite amazing, really. And so we didn't have much more success that year, but it was nevertheless a great learning curve. Next year, we went up into a, 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 what we thought would be a better car, Lotus 41, and it really wasn't that good. But of course, because it had the word Lotus on it, we assumed it would be great. It wasn't the best move we could make as a private team. Nobody could really make them go well. And then, thank goodness, we got together with Peter Westbury, who was the hill climb champion of Great Britain, and Peter contacted me and said, come on, why don't we put things together? Let's get you a proper car. So we got a, a BT21 Brabham uh, um, and, and George Brown, my mechanic, our mechanic from Pagham, he went off uh, and uh, assemb- you know, built the car at Brabham. So he knew every nut and bolt that went into it. He then went to Cosworth and spent some time then sort of building engines and he came back. So he knew the Formula 2 engine. And at this point, of course, the, uh, my stepfather had pulled out of supporting me because obviously it was beginning to get expensive, although I did pay for my own first two years to, on my own. And then, um, let's say, so without him, I couldn't have got on. But anyway, he supported us. We then went to the bank, borrowed the money and bought the Formula 2 car. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Against the value of the farm. And I went out and had a couple of three very good races at the beginning of 68. And tragically, I was in the race with the day Jimmy Clark died. On a, I think it was March, April the 18th. 1968 and um it was my sort of welcome to to, to a big time racing uh, i i was and believe it or not i was actually ahead of him on the grid for some reason i think i had better tires than they did what he did and uh that and i went to the track with him that morning and he and graham hill in the same car it was fun it was a wonderful wonderful time you know in, at that point until of course he had his accident which is a yet another story and so, you know, suddenly I was doing quite well. I had, I was in the top sort of three or four places in the early races against factory teams in Formula Two, but against all the up and coming drivers. And uh, then I get the call from Marinello when I go and have a test drive at Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace was like, I guess the early part of May. And um, so I, and they said, we're gonna test on the Monday. So I went to Crystal Palace with our Formula Two Brabham and I think I had a good race. Jackie X was driving the Ferrari, Dino. And Ferrari said, we'll keep the car there and you can drive it on the Monday. The tragic tragedy was that Jackie crashed the bloody thing. So I didn't have a car to drive on the Monday. And I thought, and I'd done well in the race. I thought, just my damn luck. Just when I got a chance of a break to get through into the big time, so, you know, the car goes off the ropes, too damaged for me to drive. So they said, sorry, you know, see ya, we're off. Damaged car. Well, well, that was the end of it. Anyway, they called me a week later and said, please come out to Monza and do a test. And then at the same time, I had John Cooper of Cooper Cars. Uh, they were running in Formula One then. Would I go and have a test with them or with them at Silverstone? So I went and did that. And I seemed to uh, spend a couple, quite a, about 10 days going backwards and forwards from Italy to Silverstone and you know Silverstone to Monza and Monza and back and then to Maranello. Uh, making my mind up because Ferrari basically were only offering me Formula Two with a look to Formula One. But I knew 
you know, that if you were at Ferrari, you did well in Formula Two, they were they were going to put you in Formula One, that's for sure. They didn't need anybody in F1 because they had Jackie X and Chris Amon. But I'm sure they were looking further up the road because I think Jackie X was leaving at the end of that year. And so they were looking at somebody to replace him. And uh, meanwhile, of course, I'm offered a full season in Formula One in the Cooper, Maserati, as it was. And I think anybody that followed it was around it's still alive that was that used to watch the Cooper Maserati. It was was spectacularly slow and really wasn't very good. You know, it was never going to go anywhere, really. And I just thought, although I want to get into Formula One, I don't know how badly I want to do it with, with, um, with Cooper. And in fact, I remember I had a meeting with the, he was called the Major, I can't remember his surname, but they called him the Major, the boss of this, that looked after the drivers. And we had many, many phone calls and chats with him. And he just said to me, don't you want to be a Grand Prix driver? And I said, well, of course I do. He said, well, we're offering you a car. So I told him, what am I going to do? And of course, we again, in those days, we didn't have managers or anybody to advise us. I mean, I guess I talked to my father, my stepfather about it, uh, who'd supported me in those other two years. But I mean, he, he didn't know either. We, we didn't know the ins and outs of racing. So, so I, I actually opted to, well, I, they, when I got down to the fact, well, let's talk about a contract with Cooper. It's, I thought I'd get 10,000 quid to you know, sign a contract. And it got down, they said, let's say, let's say a, a, a contribution of five pounds uh, and we'll sign the contract. I thought, you know, I don't need five pounds that badly. So I didn't sign my contract and I rushed off to Ferrari and I'm so glad I did. Although several people said it was a bad decision. John Wire for one said, you know, he'll ruin your career. And I think Ken Tyrrell made mutterings about that as well. But, you know, having driven for Ferrari, although I didn't have the greatest successes, to have raced for the man who's probably the greatest name in motorsport history or even motoring history is pretty special. And I knew him very personally. Absolutely. And we can actually see behind you there, we can see pictures of you with Enzo Ferrari and uh, then the the, uh, the Ferrari Formula One car that you then drove in in, in 1968. Is that oh, actually yeah. Monza, the picture at the top? Yeah, that's right. A bit of opposite lock somewhere. I don't even know where it says. Open Park Gold Cup. Yeah, that was my first ever drive for Ferrari. Yeah, that was, that was before so, the Monza outing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, although it says that, but in fact, I mean, I didn't write that, but in fact, we didn't have wings until Monza, so I think it was at Monza. I think <laughs> I've never noticed it till today. We didn't have nobody brought wings in until later that year. Certainly, anyway. you, you you drove that non-championship race, but your your first Formula One World Championship Grand Prix was in a Ferrari at Monza, which is a pretty incredible thing for anybody to have any driver to have on their CV. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't actually matter about the CV so much as the fact in your own mind to actually sit on the grid in a Ferrari at the Italian Grand Prix in front of the Tifosi, as they're called, was amazing. And the thing that occurred to me in the last few years was that was in 1968, in the in, 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 uh, first weekend of September. Ten years, eight years before, I had gone with my stepfather, the colonel, who out at one point, really got on with and helped me with my career. Without him, I couldn't have done it. We literally drove in his XK150 Jaguar from England all the way to Monza to watch the Italian Grand Prix. And we were in the grandstand watching the start of the Grand Prix. And it never occurred to me when I was sitting on the grid myself in the Formula One car that I had sat in the grandstand only eight or nine years before watching the same race. And little did I know, again, eight or nine years before, in the you know beginning of the 60s 60 61 that i would be ever driving for ferrari you know or sitting on the grid it was pretty special 
actually it was absolutely special. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned it yourself a few minutes ago as well. And people may not realize that your uh, day job at this time was, was actually effectively run, run, running the family farm. So was it a case of racing Ferraris at Monza and then back, back to the, the, the tractors at, at, at Pagham? Actually, no, I had actually, was actually stopped the farm side of it. There was a point there in 67, the, my dear old stepfather said to me, he said, actually it was very wise words. He did say some very wise words. And he said, uh, he said, I think you should stop farming. He said, you can come back, you can come back to farming when you're 40. You can't start racing for racing cars at 40. And so that was it. And I think the fact was we're probably losing money on the farm, but he never said that. So I left, but I still had the interest. And of course, we had Church Farm Caravans, which was the major, major business of the caravan part, which still exists today, although owned by somebody else. And of course, I was basically. I got around to the point that I was five years later, sort of in the, uh, you know, sort of in the early seventies, I was basically running the, that, the other business for my stepfather who said, I've had enough of it. Now it's up to you to take it over. And it was very successful. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so Formula One didn't work out as, as you wanted. Of course, you went on to become one of the, the, the greatest uh, sports car drivers of, uh, of, of, of all time. One, one of my favorites was that the Porsche 908. Uh, and I'm just going to quickly share screen if that's okay. So, um, can you can can you see that, Derek? I can indeed. Yes. Yeah. So absolutely. that's uh, that that's yeah. uh, the uh, no that's the same model. Yeah, yeah, that's the same model that you've got back. I noticed that uh, in our, our pre-call. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Uh, what what makes it appeal to you then, Henry? Ah, well, I'm just about to tell you that actually, because uh, looked very like. Uh, your Porsche 908. So I pinched your color scheme. So where do you see this? Oh my goodness me! So that's that's that, that's, that's my Crosley. That's at the Harath actually in in Spain. Yeah. As, as you can that's see, yeah. I never saw that picture before. I raced, that, that, that's, that's at Hockenheim, I raced in the German series as well, and of course the Germans all liked it, you know, because obviously it was a, a very much a nod to the uh, the old uh, the old, old 908. So they uh, they they yeah. loved it, and I, then. I, well, did you go around the whole track with Hockenheim? Do you say Hockenheim? Yeah, uh, that was yeah, that was when they changed it actually. Yeah, so it was, it's the, it's the modern version, the shorter version of Hockenheim. Yeah. You know, say, yeah. it was a long way out the back in a little car like that. You might thought you're never coming back. Well, th th this photograph here is actually taken at uh, at Portimao. Have you, have you ever raced there, oh, Derek? That's never. a fantastic no. circuit. No, no, I I went there, but I never raced there. So I, I raced that in that livery for several years with my sort of fake golf stickers on it, and I I, I was always like expecting a phone call from from golf's lawyers saying that you know you've uh, you've pinched our color scheme, but uh, it, it never uh, it never quite happened really, and I I, I got away with it. So um, I, I then sold that car. It's now in Switzerland, I think. It's actually doing the Swiss Hill Climb Championship. Believe right. it or not, it'd be ideal for that. Such fun, yeah. 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 So um. These days, the guys in the Bogner Club are probably more rallying orientated than 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 they are racing, and several of them are actually marshals on uh, what what's now called Rally GB. It used to be the RAC Rally, and um, yeah. which you, you did a couple of times. And um, I, I I can still Derek, I can still vividly recall that moment in 1987 when you drove into that bloody water splash and the car stopped on you. You, you remember that clearly too, I'm sure. Yeah, I remember it only too well. Yeah, I mean. It was one of those things that David Richards, you know, who ran ProDrive or owned ProDrive and, you know, major other lots of major teams. He said to me, one day you should do a world championship rally. And so I said, um, 
I said, well, how, you know, how about the RAC? I said, I don't think the RAC is ideal because you need so many notes for it. Whereas, you know, if you got on other rallies, it was like, just go the hell and sort of hope you don't lose it on the electricity bits and in the, in the forests, you know, I, you know, it, all over Europe, over the rest of the world. But so, but I you had the opportunity to drive that little, little Vauxhall Astra, uh, Astra, sorry, Vauxhall Astra. And um, it was just, it was just fun, you know, and I'd been working with Vauxhall a bit anyway. And um, I must admit that first year was, was certainly a learning experience because I remember Mark, Malcolm Wilson took me around, where's that test track sort of near, uh, uh, where's the test track that General Motors have anyway, somewhere near Warwick. And he took, I can't remember the name, but, and I remember I got in with Malcolm, it's a hell of a place, you know, sort of off-road all the way. And he took me around and went, oh my God, have I got to dr really drive like that? I can't do that. And of course I never really did drive. I drove it like an endurance race in a way. I mean, I got sideways and did all that sort of thing. And, uh, but it, it was, it was, um, it was fantastic experience. It's something I, I didn't really want to do again, but the first year we had such a bad time because they all said, they all said, oh, you know, the car will be good. It'll finish because, you know, the engines, they got long legs on it. But of course the three cars, all, or two of them fell out in the early part of the rally. And lo and behold, I'm still running when we go to the final stage, which is at Alton Park. And you run around Alton Park in the opposite direction, which wasn't difficult because I'd been, you know, I'd actually been towed back a couple of times the wrong way around on the back of the wreck car when I was racing. So I, I knew my way around the wrong way as well. Um, but prior to that, we'd been at the park, uh, the, the, whichever, um, where that chest, where the hell the, the deep hole was, where it began with C, didn't it? Anyway. We got to this one particular special stage and I had done it in the dry three weeks before. So I was with, I was with this, you know, um, fabulous, um, um, uh, not Malcolm, Malcolm was the, was the factory driver with John Nicholson. And John was a, a, one of the best navigators that had been around in that period. And he was the head of motorsport in the UK for General Motors. So he was my navigator. And we're sort of doing all the, 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 the you know, these, tests as it were where we were going to do our first day three weeks later but it was all bone dry we came to this massive ditch and we drove down into it and drove up the other side and came out well of course when we go back three weeks later for the actual event I remember pulling my curtains back in the hotel and going oh my god and it was just thick snow everywhere I couldn't believe it anyway so off we go and of course any I said to him you don't need to give me notes I said because I've got, I did have the reference points of nearly every corner on the special stages for the, for that weekend. I knew exactly, you know, how I was going to come in and I didn't need somebody telling me. And of course, the luck would have it. There were no, there was no defining points anyway. It was just a mass of snow. And we came around, of course, to this massive ditch, which they very kindly fill up with water just to make it a bit more interesting. And of course, I came to the edge and I had these uh, sports, sports view, BBC sports view, the show, wasn't it? Um, camera in the back of the car. Literally, I drove it down into the water. He said, he might say, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Just, in other words, he was saying, just give it time to fill the engine up with water, is what he really meant. And we came out the other side and we stopped sort of on top of the bank, you know, and that was it. Mm. And the bloody engine had, anyway, it hadn't seized at that point. The, the water drained out and we started it up and we carried on but it wasn't running terribly well, terribly crisply. And we got, we got to, to Alton, which was the final stage of the day, as I mentioned. 
and I'm flying around there having a good time and suddenly this went bang. And so I've got this wonderful souvenir back at Pagham of a Conrod on it. Conrod, which is severely bent with a piston hanging on the top like that from the mechanics after that. So that's where we finished. But the next time I went back and the next year, rather stupidly, they asked me to do it again with Mike and we had the best time. I mean, he, you know, he, he's written a book, which is dead fun. If you've ever seen Mike Nicholson's story of some of his rallies, we had so many funny events and, uh, you know, and then the sort of the great one where I literally, I slide off on the ice and I'm just slithering towards this guy, this sort of fences and I just stop in amongst all the bushes. And he says, Derek, will you please listen to me? <laughs> and, and by this too late to say anything then. And the ironic thing was from that, his daughter, 10 years later, is in Australia, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, hiking with a, a girlfriend or friends. And they go in this bar and as they walk in, they're actually showing that very shot of us in the water. And Mike saying to me, Derek, will you please listen to me? And she screamed with laughter and said, that's my dad. And the, and the guy that was showing the movie, she met the guy she met there, she ended up marrying. It's an amazing story. Not because I stuck it in the river, but just, it was a coincidence of things. But I did enjoy the rally. I think I finished... I can't remember, 27th, 28th, 20th, something like that, which I don't think any race driver's ever finished higher than that, actually. No, absolutely. But, no, you, you, you some had a very... Some, run, some had run higher than that, but they hadn't actually finished. And uh, we did finish, despite the fact they got hit by some other goon that sort of I pulled over to let by, so he just sit, ran up into me, hit me, and then he stopped him going over the edge, and I carried on as well, but it did damage the car a bit. But it was great. They're lovely, they're, they're lovely people. The stories I could tell about that, rather. Yeah, yeah, ra rallying is a little bit like that. It does generate a lot of stories. And also on the subject of rallying, I'm just going to sort of quickly um, sh share screen again, because the last time we were chatting, you, you, you talked to me about the Enstall Classic Rally in, yes. the, uh, in, in the Austrian Alps, which, which you love. I think it's probably fair to say it, it, it's just about unknown, I would say, in, in the UK. I'm just sort of sharing here the, uh, the, the, the website here, which you, 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 you've oh, taken yeah. part in that um, s several times, but you're, you're not on the entry list for obvious reasons this year. No, unfortunately, no. Um, I've done it. I've, done, I've actually there's the bent. You see the Bentley line there. I've done that's two, that's the next, showing the next year. But you see the old blower Bentley behind. Is that us? Oh yes, that looks just. It, oh, it is us. Oh, that's the old Bentley. That's me and Justin. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's you there, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, there, yeah, absolutely. Well done, good God. It's the most fabulous event. It's the most lovely event. Sort of really outside of. Of anything in motorsport, it's a lovely, lovely event set in the in the uh, Austrian Alps, and um, you can see it. It's absolutely stunning, um, and it started off with twenty cars, and it's now over two hundred. But everybody has done it within reason, you know. And, and it's not a rally; it, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a massive tour, and we obviously have. To, you don't have any really. You don't have any fast stuff to do. Uh, there's only one bit on an airfield, which really they always do it differently. So you can't cheat and sort of think, oh, well, I'll copy last year. They, they, but this is the beginning. This is the middle of the village of Grobming, G-R-O-B-M-I-N-G. And the lovely, lovely people run by um, a, 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 a really group of motor racing enthusiasts who were journalists. Very, very nice people. And uh, this is us going off. Obviously, I don't know why I'm behind that little Porsche because the group that we were in. Oh, they might have, I don't know. It looks like it's awesome. Oh, I know. This is the next day when they have the run around the streets, I think. Uh, they have, On the third day, they have sort of a, you, they, you lap the streets, not with the people standing quite like that. 
mm-hmm. but it is, uh, and you're not going that fast, but fast, fast enough. But it wonderful event to do. I'm, I'm so lucky to have done it about, God, you know, 15 times. As often as that, yeah. Well, um, I know you, you, you suggested to me that I, I should do it, but unfortunately my Audi Quattro was 1983 and the cutoff was 1973, so my, my yeah. car is a, a, a decade too, too, too yes. young, I'm afraid, for it. And, uh, plus you have to be invited, so I don't, I don't think I'm really be in the running for, a, for an invitation. That's what it says on the website anyway, it's by invitation. All right. No, but it may, no, that makes sense. I know that, I mean, I've got this, my lovely old Porsche Carrera, 924 Carrera GTS, and... Um, back in Pagham and literally um, that car is 19, was it 1981, isn't it? And, um, you know, that car isn't allowed to do it either. It'd be such fun to do it. I'm I'm sort of getting fed up and doing it with cars that don't have any power and don't have any brakes. And if they do, if they do have any brakes, they don't work. And those sort of experiences. And you're driving something that's worth millions. And you're terrified. It's the only car that they got the museum at Crew. Well, well, I noticed, I noticed that you went through the entry just to check if you were on this year, which, which, which you aren't. But I noticed that the Porsche Museum have a three five six entered, and it's just simply Porsche Museum. There's no, there's no driver. It would appear allocated. Maybe it has been behind the scenes. But I just, I thought I'd mention that to you, you know, ju- just in case it's a, a chance for you to drive it. Yeah, no, they did offer me actually that, but I just didn't think I could do it with all the hassle. I've got a couple of events I've had to turn down due to this bloody COVID nonsense, and uh, I just thought, well, I won't do it this year. Next year's a big celebration there so uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, you know we'll be able to get it organized to do it it is a super event really really good and i would you, the great thing for me is that misty and i used to go with sterling and susie i mean we'd fly over together you know a commercial and then we drive together to the hotel and we'd have a, make meals together and um you know it was just so lovely to spend time with him a lot a lot of time on these events like that mm-hmm. and yes. um so, so I think a great, a great event. Well, um, I don't think I've actually mentioned this to you before, but um, we, we, we have actually, just going to share a screen again, we, we have actually kind of um, competed against each other once. Did you know that? Did they ever tell you that? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say slightly tongue-in-cheek. I, I came out on top, Derek, um, but, okay. but I will quickly follow that up by saying it's because you had car problems. Um, so we were in the St. Mary's Trophy in uh, 19, oh, sorry, in, in 2012. So you oh, can right. see here that D- Derek Daly and I finished 12th in the, in the Sunbeam Rapier. Now, you, you won the race a few times, didn't you, with uh, yeah, Grant we, Williams in, in, in the Jaguar? You probably yeah, we, can't remember that particular year, what happened, but with Grant Williams. you had a couple of problems, yeah. yeah. Invariably on pole. I don't know what happened there. Did we, we, we were five laps short, weren't we? Yeah, you're we, yeah. not quite five, but yeah, you you were a few laps down. So, but uh, yeah, but uh, but I noticed if you look up here as well, I did I did also finish one place in front of your old uh, your old Le Mans partner, um, Andy Wallace. Did so, you? You yeah. obviously far more talent than we thought. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, great, great again, great, great memories actually. Um, yes. uh, t- yeah. t- t- taking taking part in that. Oh, it is. I mean, I must admit that the St Mary's trophies. I mean, amazing. They're all amazing races, but it, they, I mean, the way some of the guys drive it, quite rather valuable equipment is amazing. I, I always thought it was going to be for older gentlemen to drive old cars, but it's actually ended up a young gentleman driving old cars. And, uh, you know, obviously it's very competitive because of it and very exciting. Like, do, do, uh, do, 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 you, do you worry about that at all, Derek? I mean, do, do, do you think people, people are going too, too fast at Goodwood? Not really. They are if they go off. 
Um, I just think they should drive with a little bit more consideration for other drivers. And I don't mean that I'm complaining from my point of view but at all. But I, you know, I mean, you, it's very difficult. Uh, I was very lucky. I always drove in really great cars all around the world. So I was generally in that fast group that didn't have to worry about people overtaking them all the time. And you know, you go to the Goodwood events and you sort of, after three laps, you're being lapped and you go, oh my God. And there's no way the car would go much quicker. I mean, you put the best driver in the world in there, you still would be rocketing around with a leading group just for the cars, you know, different classes. And I think the last time I did it, was what did I drive two years ago? I drove a Porsche 904. I mean, it was a lovely, lovely car. But I mean, you know, it wouldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding, but it was, it was just lovely to drive. And it was nice to drive something because of being a Porsche driver to drive something from that history. But, you know, I, I can't imagine racing one, uh, you know. I mean, the handling was very good, of course, but you, you didn't have to worry because you're putting over most of the time onto the grass to let the fast cars through. So the handling was good on the grass, really. But no, I, I don't, I think it's a tad too fast in some respects. But um, I, I, I just pray and hope that, you know, we don't have any accidents again this year. I mean, it was pretty good last year, but I mean, you know, I know, I know somebody had a big crash and he was most upset about the way he was taken off by the plaster cars because I, I think their judgment of some of the drivers isn't as good as it should be. The fast drivers, when they're coming up on the slope, everybody has, a, you know, has to take a line through a corner of some sort. You might well say, well, get out the bloody way and don't drive. But I mean, you know, we're in the race because it's meant to be a sort of demonstration of classic, beautiful cars and a race at the same time. And it's very difficult to combine the two without having incidents. Sure. So, so thank, thanks for that, uh, Derek. So going, going back to uh, to the uh, the Bognor Club, I'm going to share a screen yet yet again. You you, you kindly agreed to become our uh, honor, honorary president, uh, as I'm sure you recall. And uh, here you are, the the the, the Regis Tour uh, several years ago, waving off the the cars. You you remember doing that, obviously. Oh, it's lovely. No, I get asked. Um, sort of well um every year almost obviously i don't know when you had the last one but i, it, I if i'm in the country I, I i will do it but invariably it's sort of been september october time isn't it yeah, uh, it's usually just before the revival yeah revival yeah okay so it's a bit earlier than that but i know when i'm there i i do always go up there and is it ali ali, ali always, green mm -hmm. ali, she always contacts me. Oh, way, way, way in front. Bless her. She's so damn organized, that girl. And she was around when I used to be in the Bognor Motor Club, I swear it. <laughs> and so um, I've, I always enjoy going up there and seeing it. And, and, and it's just lovely. I mean, I've never been up there apart from a lovely sunny morning. So I'm sure there's been some grisly mornings. And then I'm allowed to tag on the back end in my Porsche and sort of tool around and enjoy the roads, which we do in a little lunch somewhere. It's a lovely event to do and lots yeah. of enthusiasm. I remember, yeah, you 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 followed Lorraine and I around the, the last time you did it. But what what I wanted to mention was that you know I was I was really impressed, Derek, that you, you know, there's something like what's it, is it seventy eighty cars, and and you stood there and you you waved off every single car and you had a little word for like every single crew right 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 to the end until the eightieth car was 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 through, which which I thought was a you know tremendous and you you get a bit of a buzz out of that of, of giving giving something back to the sport in that sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm so lucky to have had the career I've had and particularly to be able to do, I mean, look at that picture there, the Sussex Downs, you know, up at the school and uh, up at, what's it begin with B? What's the name of the village? Is it, wouldn't it be? Oh. Anyway, 
it, it's, uh, the, it's, it's the school, the isn't pub, it? George, mm. the pub at the church, because I turned my car upside down there one night and ended up in the pub, which sounds very, I ended up in the church wall, actually, but I ended up in the pub getting over it. Um, Burfham, that's where we were. Yeah, certainly yeah, so, 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 so in, in that region. Yeah, so that was that. That was terrific. So hopefully we'll see you back at that event uh, uh, in the near future. So. Yeah. So, so Derek, I was going to look at a couple of questions now, if that's if that's okay, because we've had it. We've had a number of questions come in there. So um, let's have a have a look, have a little look look there. Um, so w w can you see them as well, or I'll just read them out for you, Derek? Yeah. Kelly? Yeah. All I can see is you with your lovely paint with perspiration falling off it right the, the uh oh this is, this, is, this is a number a number of questions here um okay so this is david darley i was at goodwood with peter robinson after you first tested your f2 f3 car alongside ken Tyrrell's car driven by jackie stewart you were pleased to be only about 0.5 seconds slower when when was that and what was the car can you can you remember that um um, uh, well, it was obviously very early. It was at mid sixties. I I remember being. I I, I I mean, I remember going to your in in the car. I did. I, did it imply that I drove the same car as Jackie? Did you read that? It doesn't seem to say that. No, you 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 were driving your your own car. The person's not sure whether it was an F. Well, Jackie Stewart never really did Formula Two, did he? He he went from F three straight to Formula One. So I guess it must yeah, have been F three. He had a lot of F three. I had some wonderful races against him in F2. I came second behind him at Thruxton. Mm -hmm. We were on, in qualifying. He was on pole and I was second. Mm -hmm. But that was that was the BT30s and that was 1970. That yeah, was of course, he, 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 uh, he, he sort of stepped, stepped back to Formula 2, didn't he? I think he jumped to Formula well, 1 all, then. Yeah. The point where that was the great thing about Formula 2, and we don't have it like that now. And that's where racing, I wouldn't say it's, ch it's changed because it's got faster and bigger and more money and everything, and everything and more drivers, thank goodness, and they're not getting hurt. So therefore, there's lots of people out there. But, but in that day, we've had Formula 3, Formula 2, Formula 1, and you graduated from one to the, to the top one. Excuse me, if you're lucky, if you're quick enough, you got there, it wasn't just, you was luck, but you had to also be good to, you know, you weren't picked up because of one drive that you had at Hockenheim, you're picked up because you, got lots of points in the European Formula 3 or Formula 2 championship. And uh, basically the guys that were, there'll be six of us in F3, of which 15 would move on to F2, maybe each year or a percentage of them. And then a few of them, if they were good enough, would go into Formula 1. And, um, but the great thing, when you're in F2, as I was, and was talking sadly about the Jimmy Clarkin sort of era, is the fact he gave us a chance to, show how good we were against Jimmy Clark, Graham Hill, Jackie Stewart, Joe Siffert, Pedro Rodriguez, Jochen Rint. I mean, I could go through no end of the drivers that we, if we went out, and I, if I could stay with Jochen around Thruxton in a Formula 2 car, I had to be quite good. Or, you know, I learned something. I mean, I very rarely, I thought, never really did he follow me. It was generally always in front, I was chasing but that's what you needed. You needed a great driver to show you the way around. And that's what I got from following Jackie Stewart and all these guys. Well, I guess was showing you just how fast you had to go. Because otherwise, how the hell fast would you know what to do? You come in and say, well, one, a 136 seems quick enough. And they go, yeah, but so-and-so is doing a 134. And you go, oh. So you go out and watch it. And then I say, oh, that's how he does a 134, for example. 
or you push yourself hard. But you or I always have to push myself harder to get down to a good time. But I did get the chance to race against all the Formula One drivers, whereas today um, they don't get to race against them. They become test drivers for the Formula One teams, which costs them an arm and a leg because most teams got, don't pay you to do it. They actually sort of you have to bring a sponsor along to be a test driver. I find that uncanny. But this seems the routine to get to the top. But no, I mean, so that, that those, I remember the Jackie Stewart A day when Jackie was, it did drive, but it, it, it um, was for, he, he drove for Ken Tyrrell, I think, in Formula Three. And then he drove for John Coombs in Formula Two from Guildford, John Coombs. And so and the same team that um, um, Graham Hill drove for. And then obviously Joe Siffert drove for as well in Formula One. And I remember Jackie actually got the lap record in F3 in 1960. 1960, hold on, I get it. He got the lap record in 1964. And I drove the identical car in 65 and I beat it. But that doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, the car was, you know, had the same old BMC engine. and the, I, But, you know, it didn't mean much. But it was nice to know that I, I was fairly quick, you know, because by then cars were probably improving every year. Sure, yeah, still a yardstick. So um, j jumping forward a few eras uh, into the uh, your, your Porsche years, we had a question here about the, the differences between uh, the uh, the 956 and uh, the, the 962. Externally, they looked pretty similar, but were there, were, there, were there differences in them? The difference was, I believe, eight centimetres. If not, it was eight inches. <laughs> I, I can't remember which it was, but it was a very small amount. And the reason it happened was that they were obviously... Having raced them as a 956 around the world championship, we didn't actually race in America. I think we, at that point, I think we went, did we go to Daytona in the first year? I don't think we did. Um, so we didn't go, but the Americans said, you know, if these driver's feet are in front of the sensor line or the front wheels, a bit like the 917, where the first thing you hit the wall was your feet and then the wheels, which was always very good for your, your health. So, um, and so the Americans very astutely said, come on, I know this is the case because I was with Mark Raffoff in the last three weeks in, 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 um, in Jackson, the, the Concord Elegance there, and we were talking about this very thing. And um, so they had to lengthen the chassis. So the wheelbase got longer to get the wheels further away from, the, from where the driver sat, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And overall, that was they extended the car. Uh, just um, And the drivability of it, I... All I know is that the 962 became a lot better. But half the reason was the first car we had was 630 horsepower. And by the time we'd finished with the 962, we were 850 horsepower. So, mm. you know, it wasn't all where the wheels were. It's the fact that they developed the engine and the handling and we ended up having bigger, bigger. Remember, we had all the, the louvers underneath and the ground effect. And that's why they stopped ground effect cars, because we were so fast around the corners. It was years before the modern flat bottom car got as quick, according to the Audi experts, but the Audi cars that they won them all with, was that the, the, the grip that we had on, our, on, the, on the 962 and 956 but was incredible. And, we, and at one stage, they, they made the wheels narrow, but made them taller on the 962 so we could have wider tunnels underneath within the width of the car. It was amazing to drive. 
Well, absolutely. And, and just on, on a similar thing, but now, now going forward, obviously, there's the big thrust towards electric vehicles and Formula E and, and, and all the rest of it. Can can you see a scenario in which in, in, enduring, endurance racing can go? This is a question from Neil Bailey. Can you see a scenario where endurance racing starts starts to go electric? Um, I ha- First of all, I have to say, I'm not, a, I'm not the, the wildest sort of you know, person to support uh, electric cars. Not because I'm not all for, for you know saving the planet, but I just love a noise and I love a smell, you know. And um, it doesn't do much for me. I've driven a, a few electric cars and I will, I will do in the future. But um, it, it, it can, it's difficult after all these years of, of thundering around in the sort of cars I have with V12s and V8s and, you know, V16s and things like that to actually get in a car that, that has, a, has a couple of batteries in it. But nonetheless, we have to look to the future, and I'm all keen to help wherever possible with an electric pro- electrical projects because I think there is a place, which is really what I'm coming to, and I think we sh- we've got to go that way. I don't believe electric would take over totally in in the world, not for a hell of a long time. If it's required, it'll be something else will come in by then, I'm sure. But um, I think we have to be, you know, getting in there and supporting it, and you know, development of the cars. And you, I mean, you see them on the roads, they're improving all the time. Um, but, but you still have to get the mileage out of them. And I know somewhere along the line, one of these days, somebody will come up with a, a battery that will last you to do 12 hours, you know, but in fact, at the moment, there, there isn't such a thing that I'm aware of. And, uh, you know, if you go on a journey, like a friend of mine the other day, I said, oh, he said, I'm going up to Tallahassee, which is the capital of Florida. And, you know, it's sort of 300 miles or something. And I said, oh, that'll be nice. He said, well, I said, you'll take the Tesla with you. He said, oh, bloody lightly. He said, I'm going to go in my Audi. So I said, well, I almost didn't have to say why. He said, because we'd have to stop to charge the battery on the way. Mm-hmm. And it would take, you know, it's not that, you know, that somebody say, well, I can get it done in 40 minutes, but you've got to be able to have a spot free when you get there to put your, to plug in. I know it will come. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there is a place for it in endurance racing because it's still part of racing and there probably will be a class for it and it'll be very well controlled and they'll somehow work a balance of performance out to allow it to race because when you see the massive horsepower they produce but of course I think one of the things at the moment I, I believe I'm right saying is the cars are, are quite heavy although the batteries are in the right position on the car and I think I think there's things they've got to sort out but there does seem to be some amazing fires when these Teslas have an accident and they keep burning as they go down the road to the yard because they just keep burning ad infinitum. I'm not saying that that can't be fixed. I'm just saying those sort of things are sort of major sort of teething problems, but we will have it. Yeah, that's for sure. So we're, we're sort of jumping around a little bit in eras, but a couple of people have asked about uh, filming in the, the Le Mans film and uh, working with that uh, with, with Steve McQueen. And earlier before we came on air, you, you showed me a book that's just brought out about uh, Steve McQueen. I mean, that was, again, an incredible episode in your in your career, working on that film and working with uh, Steve McQueen. Yeah, I'm going to try and show it because I, I think I told you I'm using it to support my iPad. So I'm going to, but I just got his, the new book that's come out about him. And those of you that are at least a bit interested, uh, is in his own words, and uh, it's massively thick. And I haven't, I haven't, read, but I mean, it's just full of all his life, you know, and in all the movies he made, and his stuff on the Lamar movie, and his family, and all that sort of thing. And I'm just, you know, basically, I'm so amazed or ple- happy that I worked with him on the film, 
having not known him before, I knew who he was, who didn't, you know. But um, it was an amazing experience and one can talk for hours about it. Um, and uh, I was just lucky to, to work with him. The basic, basic principle is that Steve wanted, to, Steve wanted to race at Le Mans. And there's no way he was going to be allowed to do it as long as he was a film, an actor. He was top of this tree at that time. And he had raced. He finished second at Sebring that year with Peter Revson. And I, I didn't realize until much later on, after he you know, had his, uh, passed away, that in fact he had um, lots and lots of races in other cars, Austin Healy's and Porsches and things, not lots, but several other races. And so he was, but when we drove together, I mean, I'd, I'd never driven a, I, I lied. I'd done one race in my life on that, in a sports car, apart from my Lotus 7, of course, but, but in a real, probably big sports car. We, I raced at Spa in 1970 in the 1000 Ks in the Ferrari 512. And lo and behold, um, I then do Le Mans for the factory team. Mr. Ferrari wanted me back into the factory team to drive at Le Mans that year with Ronnie Peterson. And that was the first time I drove a sports car really after Spa. And then I'm asked to do the movie in, in the car that I'd driven at Spa was then painted red. It was car number eight in the movie. And I was sort of looked after the car as far as driving was concerned. And Steve drove the Porsche 917. And when he didn't drive, generally speaking, it was either Joe Sivert or I would drive the Porsche. And if there were, or if there was some really dangerous stuff, in there, really dangerous isn't the right word because it was all dangerous, but do any sort of tricky stuff, Joe or I would do that driving rather than Steve because they didn't want to risk Steve getting hurt. But um, I mean, he just, he drove incredibly well, the more I reflect on it and how he used to be with us when we were going through these corners. I mean, he never chickened out. I wouldn't say we ever went flat down the mulls on straight because we never really filmed on the straights as such restraint. We did at the end under braking for Mulzahn and that sort of thing. But, you know, they had enough footage because they, as you know, they took 22 hours of footage from a car in the race and also from stationary cameras around the circuit. So they had a ton of footage to, to use uh, for material. And then they tried to tip, link it up with what they made in the movie. So they put the same cars in the same places they were with the same numbers and same driver's helmets, if not the same very similar. And that's how they made the film. But he, his passion was just driving cars. All he wanted to do was drive. Whenever the drivers, the 10 or 12 of us, were sort of sitting around chatting, you know, between scenes, which was a lot of chatting and a lot of sitting and eating baguette, you know, he'd, he'd just come and sit with us. He just wanted to talk cars he, or about racing, about what we did. He just loved to, you know, he wasn't sort of up on his own sort of podium, sort of trying to be, I'm the great actor. He wanted to race and we didn't want to race. I'm oh, sorry. We didn't want to be actors, sorry. And so consequently, we weren't sort of climbing on his shoulders. We'd do something with various things we did. They would ask us, you know, or the, the, the director of the movie, John Sturgis, in the first stages, he would say, you know, you know, what would you do in a situation like this? How would the driver, you know, how would we, how would he walk up and get in his car? What would he say to his mechanics? You know, what would his last words be when he gets in? What would he say to his teammate? But the bloke writing the script doesn't know that. Only the driver himself knows. And in fact, as John Sturgis said on a couple of occasions, we actually should have used new drivers as the actors because the actors actually didn't have to act very much, mm -hmm. you know, because it was all just drive, drive, drive and, you know, facial expressions. And we could have done that. 
Yeah, yeah, but it's sort of an interesting uh, friendship because I know you, you had a long friendship with that. Can, can you show us the picture, actually? Is that possible? You moved the iPad? I think you showed it to us early, earlier on. It's somewhere near uh, you, well, you, that you one and Steve McQueen. Where is that? Yeah, well, yeah, that one over there. I, 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 well, of course, this, is, this was well known. This was in the book. You can see it there, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. That was in, uh, in the book that was written by Michael Kaiser about Le Mans. And um, it, actually, it's called A French Kiss with Death. It was, it was amazing. And there's the car, of course, the long tail Porsche 917 there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and then there's a good picture there. Of, I don't know if you can see it there. Can you see Steve there? Can you see that or not? Yeah, I can see that clearly. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, that, and then there's me on the, on, 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 mm -hmm. on the left. You've got John Sturgis and then me and then Steve and then Dickie Atwood's back and Sebastian, Justin, my son, in the middle there. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, so uh, anyway. I think everyone's enjoying this uh, quick sort of impromptu view of your <laughs> your study, Derek. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I can't get. I'm not that bloody organised. I can press a button like you. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Um, so do, it's, I guess it's in the nature of a Q and A. You do sort of jump around a little bit. So this is sort of a, a, a jumping to a different question. Um, you of course drove the the Porsches all those years in opposition to the Jaguars uh, operated by by, by TWR. W were were you ever? given an offer to uh to, to switch camps and uh, go, go go drive for jaguar it's almost like that guy knows that i was <laughs> um 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 yes um, uh and obviously for me to have driven for jaguar would have been fantastic but the, the, initially they were only racing in america with a group 44 car with bob julius early hayward and various other people, obviously a great team of drivers drove over in America and his cars were immaculate. Um, but remember the car that I drove, the, the, the Porsche 962 in American form had ground effect, had tunnels underneath, was based on the race car that we had in Europe, the 962 racing in Europe. Uh, and the Jaguar really never had the grip that we did. It had a lovely engine. It was nimble, beautifully prepared, beautifully run. But I would almost say it never won a race. We won, if, if we didn't, other Porsches did or whatever, or Nissan did or Toyotas, all won races. I don't think the Jaguars won. They might have won one in the series. Remember, sports car racing was very big in, in America at the same time as it was. I mean, the, that was the era, although it's possibly coming back, no. Um, I'm just switching something off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but obviously... Sports car racing was massive in the States and because of the money there and where places we went, you know, I was commuting backwards and forwards like every week from one, from one race to the next. Um, but to get back into it, I, they, Jackie X and I won at Silverstone, I think in 1983 or 84, we won the thousand kilometers in the nine, nine, five, six, or even the nine sixty. I can't remember which year it was. And, so, and over that weekend, Jaguars contacted me and said, we're, we're bringing the Group 44 car over from the States and we'd like you to um, basically run it at Silverstone on the Monday after you race for Borsha. So Ix and I go and win the race. So we're a pretty good, or I was certainly a pretty good bet to put in the car and do a reasonable time because they just won the 1,000 cases the day before. And I, so I was very flattered. And I remember it was actually on BBC evening news they showed it on the news at night showing jaguars back to racing again and um i drove the car a number of laps and i was quick but i wasn't as quick as i was in the porsche and it wasn't because porsche paid me that didn't even knew i did it 
But um, it was interesting for me to drive it, and I guess it was interesting for them. But you've got to remember, as I said, that we in Europe, we had far more ground effects on our cars because we were allowed to. We're allowed to run them lower. I think I'm right in saying this gave you more ground effect than we were in America. Also, in America, the tracks generally were much bumpier. I mean, Sebring's like driving around an off-road. Fabulous place. You still go back after 30 years. We still kept going. Um, and if you ran the European car there and the European setup, you'd have ripped the bottom off it. So I think when we bought the T Group 44 to Goodwood, um, they could lower it, but I don't think they could lower it anything like and didn't have the ground effect ability. So no, I, and, and, and they had offered me a drive and they did around that time uh, without any giving it. I have a letter asking me, uh, which I kept for a long time. And I probably got somewhere stacked away at Little Wellborn in England. But um, I didn't because I, you know, I didn't really want to go back to being a development driver again. You know, I'd spent my, most of my racing career developing cars or with the team and developing something. And I, but at this point, I was now 40, 43, 44 years old. And I always thought I'd be out of it by the age of 40, little known I'd go until I was 60. But um, I didn't really want to be a development driver, whereas I just get in a 962 every week, wherever it was in America or, or in, say here, you're here and I'm in America right now. But, you know, in either of the countries. Um, and I was always in a great team with a great car. I had a chance to win because I had great teammates. And so uh, why do I want to go and be a development driver at Jaguar as much as it would have been an honor? But I know Walkinshaw would never have kept me because he had his own sights on his own drivers. And he did, you know, with Martin Brundle and, and Eddie Cheever and people like that who were, who were much younger than me and who had this amazing talent. And Tom had no sort of, you know, sort of wish to really put me in a car. A, because he used to race as well. I raced with him in the same car once or twice, the BMW actually. And um, so, you know, it would, it, it would have been great to drive for Jaguar. I'd have had a much shorter career. I stayed with Porsche and, of course, you know, we won a lot of races. You, you did. And I just want to see, draw everyone who's on the call the attention to, uh, to your book, De Derek Bell, Racing Life. This is the, the second edition because you, 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 you did the first edition and you, you, you sort of thought your career was pretty much wound up, but it, you sort of kept going for another decade. So you had to bring out a, a, a second edition of it, which is, which is excellent. Yeah, and the, the first book was a lot smaller. It's, I've got one on the shelf here. It's, I'll have to show you, just out of interest, but it, I've got it here. I've, the, the, I've only got two left, by the way, <laughs> but there we are. There's a, that was the original one, but it's much the same. And the story is all much the same, but it's not in so much colour because uh, we couldn't afford it. And also, I, you know, the, that one's bigger. That one you've got is more like a coffee table book. I don't know, coffee book table. Or yeah. table but um uh, it was yeah the second one was fun to do it start it was really because people in america were saying is this what the first one didn't go to america much and the americans kept saying you should you know we want another book what have you been doing when you know when you when you stop racing right well in the last few years since you wrote the first book the first one i think was in 89 and mm. what did you do in the you know in those last next 20 years till 99 um, you know, whatever it was, or 2009, you know, what, what was your life? Um, you know, what did you do? I mean, because you carried on racing, you know. And of course, I had my Bentley days and all that, those sort of fabulous times in the book. Um, and I drove tons of cars nonetheless. And so that's why we did it. And um, it was, you know, pretty popular. I mean, it's got all the results in the back and that sort of thing. Some lovely pictures in here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great read. I recommend it to everybody. So we've we've just gone over 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 the hour now. So um, I think we'll we'll, we'll probably um wrap, wrap up soon. So um, I I did a, a bit of research, Derek, and I'm I'm not sure if you want me to remind you of this, but I I do believe that you have a significant birthday coming up in in in, in October of this year. Is is, is is am I right on my arithmetic? Uh, yeah, you absolutely you it's you are of course. I'm just. I, I can't believe it because it seems then the other day I was 70 and uh, we had a wonderful party then. And um, I never thought I'd survive till 80. And I seem to be doing that okay at the moment. And um, it, it is actually, I, I'm not at all happy about being 80, but I'd rather be 80 and, and live to be it than sort of people talk about that I never made it. So um, yes, it is. I mean, it's weird just now I called up a friend of mine a very well-known mechanic, Roger Bailey, who was the first British mechanic to ever work at Ferrari. And he was there in, when I was at Ferrari, and he worked with Chris Amon and I on the Tasman series, which is the most glorious series we took, went and did. And, um, and, and he was saying, it's Vic Elfords was 86 yesterday, and he's a very poorly gentleman right now, incidentally, but, um, but he's still with us, bless him, and he lives about 20 miles from me. And then, and it's Jackie Stewart's tomorrow. And I know he's over 80 now because I went to a wonderful party with a lunch party with him a year or two ago. And who else is Brian Redman? He's up in the eight in the 80 bit as well. And David Hobbs too. Um, and uh, I think I might even be younger than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Very weird by about three days, no, by a year or so. But I, you know, it's it's a weird thing because I know when I would, and if there's any young people watching, I'm sure they won't because they wonder who the hell I am anyway. But I remember when I was in my 30s, you know, somebody aged 80, just bless their hearts, you knew they had their feet up in front of the fire, smoking a pipe and sort of dribbling all the time. And that's what my impression was of 80 year olds or even 70 actually. And some, I don't dribble that much. My nose runs sometimes and I sort of scratch myself in funny places, but Basically speaking, I'm sort of, I haven't changed very much. People tell me anyway. My wife might totally disagree. But I'm very lucky to be here and, and so on. And, and, and I've had a fabulous career and a fabulous life doing what I've loved doing. And, you know, I'll be at Goodwood in a few weeks, coming back in two weeks' time, 10 days' time. And uh, for the first time in a year and a half, I've been home since, since uh, November 19, uh, November 2020, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I might I might uh, cross paths with you at, at Goodwood uh, this year, Derek. So, um, on behalf of the uh, all, all the clubs and the uh, the different people on the on the call this evening, thank you uh, very very much indeed. And uh, we'll all wish you a very uh, happy birthday come uh, come come October of this year. And uh, hopefully see you before then. Thanks, Harry. You're very kind. Okay. Uh, th th thanks very much, Derek. And uh, uh, we'll uh, hopefully speak with you soon. Okay. Well done, Harry. Thank you. Okay. okay. Well, put, well put together.